hey, I've got some stuff that the Lord's uh, been putting on my heart to share with you guys at this particular session. You know, just a reminder, part of what, what the Lord has, has um, kind of uh, caused this ironworks a few years ago uh, to, to start up is, is um, you know, Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And um, that's the goal is to see us as brothers, uh, you know, sharpened. Um, and I see in our culture a lot of blunt, a lot of dull tools as far as it goes into the men of, of our culture. And uh, we need men that are sharpened and tools that are ready to be used by the Lord. And um, I don't know about you, but I want to have a nice edge uh, on my spiritual walk. And I want to be able to be functional. Whenever the Lord pulls that tool out of the toolbox that... Uh, um, I've been, I've been, by the way, uh, learning to sharpen things. You know, I, for years I've been a, a guy that just knows how to make things really dull uh, in my tools. Uh, but I've been using, uh, you know, whetstones and, and some files and I've got the right ones finally. Um, for years I did the wrong, <laughs> you know, I just kind of take a grinder to something and try to sharpen it. I uh, wasn't so good at it, but you'd be kind of shocked at some of my sharpening skills, I have to say, as uh, time goes by. And, uh, and uh, it's kind of fun, you know, to, it's, it's sort of one of my hobbies. But here's the problem with a hobby um, is I've got a lot of things that I've wanted to do things I've thought to do, even kind of started, but there's a ton of things that I haven't finished. I'm sure none of you guys have done that. Um, let me ask a question. Let's have a moment of confession and honesty right now. Are you guys ready for this? Um, let's go for this. How many of you... <laughs> I love that. Half the guys, uh, okay, hands up already. <laughs> I haven't even said it yet. Okay, how many of you would be embarrassed if I... Uh, if I told you right now, hey, by the way, your wife let me into your shop uh, this week or your garage and I videotaped and can we kind of looked around for about an hour and I filmed it and I'm going to project it right up here. How many of you guys would say, I'd be a little embarrassed about that. Raise your hand. Okay. 90% of the guys. Yeah. Well, as it turns out, I took a video camera into some of your garages. That was a great laughter. It was kind of a nervous laughter there. <laughs> so, uh, so Dan, I got yours. I went to pay. no. He's like, no way. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't do that. I, I'm lying. Um, just a joke. But some of you were nervous. I saw a bead of sweat coming down Dan's forehead. No, it's it's funny because um, you know the shop. Uh, as I look through my shop, I'll, I'll tell you what you'd see. Um, first of all, you'd see my dirt bike sitting there. And my dirt bike, um, you might have thought, uh, wow, Brett must have just went for a ride because there's still mud caked all, you can't even tell what brand it is right now. It's brown with dirt. And you think, oh, he must have just went for a ride. But then if you'd look closer, you'd notice that it not only had a thing of mud over it, but it also had a, a thin layer of dust over the mud and all the other stuff. Which means, now this is really embarrassing. This is, for you dirt bike guys, you're like, oh, Last time I rode my dirt bike, I didn't take it and clean it. It's still sitting there with the mud on it from my last ride, which was <coughs> clear over a year ago. Yeah, the chain is still sitting there in uh, mud and dirt. Um, probably need a new chain by now. But, um, but that, that's the first thing you see is my crested over uh, KTM 505. Um, but... I love that dirt bike. I, 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 I need to take it for a ride. My intention uh, is to go out and go for a ride. But the problem is for the last year, it's been so crazy busy. Haven't done that. 
So I look at that and think, oh man, I need to go get that thing cleaned. I need to go work on this thing, get it back up to speed. Up to, you know, we have guys in our church, the crazy guys that have their dirt bikes, man, they're, they're perfect. They look like they're right out of the showroom uh, right every single day. Uh, they keep their bikes all nice and everything. That's, that's good for them. Um, uh, the next thing you'd see is a bunch of uh, unfinished projects and, and a lot of junk that you'd think, why does Brett even have this sitting here? Like there's piles of stuff that I've got sitting there. I got sticks of lumber that I've th- always thought, oh, it'd be great to build this, that, or the other thing, but it's all just sitting over there. And some of those sticks of wood I've actually brought with me in three moves in the last 15 years. <laughs> oh man. You know, my wife, Debbie's like, um, honey, are you gonna do something with that, the, that old, uh, you know, rotted lumber that you've been saving here, you know, in your shop? Um, and I could go on and on, tools that, uh, you know, I've got there that still have the, the price tag on them, you know? <laughs> that I bought because I, I knew I was going to, I need that tool, you know, and, and, um, and I, on and on, just junk laying around stuff. And, and, um, and really it's an indictment of the, the things that I wished I could do or that I've meant to do or even want to do, <clears throat> but just haven't really done it. And it's kind of an indictment against me with a shop. Um, now, this is great. Um, I shouldn't be telling you guys this stuff. But actually, Deb and I just finished building the house. So I've got this, this little pole barn and it's a great little pole barn. It's an old one built in the 1950s and uh, we're on you know, just a, a one acre chunk there and I got a little pole barn and that's my shop. And, it, and that's the one I wouldn't let you guys in to see. Um, but my new garage, ha <laughs> ha, you could eat off the floor in that thing. Man, if you, if you saw my new garage, I've only been there for a couple months, but, um, but, so there's plenty of time to mess it up. <clears throat> but, um, but right now, it's the old man garage that I've always wanted. You know, have you ever met that old guy that's just got time on his hands and he keeps his garage pristine and perfect and you just walk in and every tool's got a place and, you know, the, the floor is treated with that, you know, garage stuff. I haven't done that yet, but, um, you know, like, like you're just like, that's the garage right there. <clears throat> well, I've kind of got that right now. I've got this like pristine garage because I've only lived there for a couple months and I told, you know, Debbie, nothing goes in this garage, nothing. Uh, well, where do we put the pole barn? <laughs> Just pile it up on the rest of the junk out there. So if I had you over, I wouldn't take you to the pole barn, but I'd say, hey, check out my garage. <laughs> you say, Brett, why are you telling all this? Well, I've found that our garages and shops are an, a, a, sort of an allegory of our lives. You know, we have this, this pristine garage uh, that we show on the outside. Hey, God bless you, brother. Hey, welcome to church. <laughs> got my big Bible, got my smiling face. It's all good. But back in the shop, what do you got going on? What's the stuff you've got piled up? What's the stuff you should have done a long time ago, but you never got around to it? Uh, like things, just small things like, how about like, say, loving your wife? Oh, well, Brett, that's something I'm working on. It, it, it's a project. Uh, you know, it's taken a few years uh, to get that one down. How many years have you been? Oh, 40 years of marriage. Okay, yeah. I wonder, you know, or I wonder, you know, family devotions. Yeah, man, I had great intentions there, you know, to, to spend time doing family devos with the kids and stuff. But man, I just, life gets busy and work and all that stuff. And I know I should do family. I know I should, you know, have the scriptures be a part of our family and our household. But, you know, a little dust is on the Bible there in my shop of my, of my life and my house. And, and, and as I kind of think about stuff that we should be doing as men, 
But it even gets a little more sinister than just the shop. It, it actually become kind of a thing where I've noticed, and, and, and um, you know, it's tough because I feel like guys that are willing to come here on a Saturday morning and, and get into the scriptures, man, you guys are, at least you're here. You're here saying, man, we want to draw close to the Lord. We want to get into the word. We want to, we want to do things, you know, uh, rightly. So I, in some ways, I feel like I'm probably preaching to the choir here on a, on a, on a Saturday morning at Ironworks. And so there's a, there's a few things as we get into this, I'm gonna talk about some kind of harder stuff that we need to be working on as men. But I want, I want you guys to think of it in, in several ways. And normally I won't ask this of you, but one is your own personal life, but also think of brothers. Now this is, this is normally a bad practice, but think of brothers that you know that should be here this morning, but aren't. Because all of you guys have friends like that. They should be here at Ironworks, getting in the word, but you know, for whatever reason, they're not, they, you know, sports for their kids or they're busy doing this or even, you know, working or whatever. And, and you know, they, they just kind of always have a reason to not really do what God's called them to do. And the reason I'm freeing you up to think about that guy is because I've got an assignment for you after this, uh, this service. But um, hopefully it'll kind of tie into that. But, but the idea is for us to kind of evaluate, Lord, am, am I a guy who's, who's just really trying to, move closer to you and serve you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, love you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, you know, just going for the, being the godly man that you've called me to be, or am I playing games? Am I playing games with God? You know, like, yeah, 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 God bless America, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving, you know, my money to the tithe, and I'm going to church on Sunday, but, but as a man, are you a godly man? Are you a man who's doing what God's called you to do? Or are you making up excuses or reasons why you can't do what God's called you to do? That's kind of a hard question. You know, maybe this comes from years of, you know, spending time, uh, you, know, you know, meeting with guys, talking about their lives. You know, married guys, uh, one of the things that um, the pastor staff and I were talking about, we, we struggle sometimes. We think, man, how can we help certain guys just do what they're called to do? One brother... Um, He's a guy, in the, if he were sitting here today, you guys would think, man, that's a cool dude, man. He knows how to hunt and shoot and kill things. Talented, nice dude, hard worker. Like there's so many things about this guy I really love and like. But when it comes to, um, you know, getting stuff done as far as a husband, like, frankly, I, I've had brothers say stuff like this. Oh, I met with Pastor Gabe. Yeah, how'd that go? Oh, I stumped him. <laughs> I stumped Pastor Gabe. He, he didn't know what to tell me. Well, the funny thing is, I talk to my pastoral staff, know kind of what's going on. And here's what really happened there. Pastor Gabe spent weeks ministering, talking to this one individual, and the guy's kind of boasting, yeah, Gabe just was stumped, didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> well, actually, it was, Gabe said, here's what you need to do. And he gave him some very practical, one, you know, just basic 101, being a married man kind of stuff to do. And the guy just won't do it. He won't do the basic things that he's called to do. Um, hey, be nice to your wife. Well, how do you do that? Well, when you come home, what you do is you give her a big hug and a kiss and you say, um, honey, I'm home and I'm glad to be with you. Just give her a hug and a kiss. Be really nice to her. Can you do that? I don't know, man. Uh, well, no, just do that. I'll meet, with you. I'll meet with you again. But first, I want you every day this week to go home, give your wife a hug and a kiss and tell her you love her. And then we'll work on the next step after that, but let's see if you can do that. And the guy will come back. I'm not kidding. 
well, I was gonna do that, but then the kids were messing up something over here and I got busy with that and I never actually made it house. I went straight to the garage and started working on stuff. Like excuses, excuses, excuses. And, and the guy just wasn't willing to do marriage 101, like the most basic, kind-hearted husband stuff that a guy should do. It's like no-brainer stuff. He wasn't willing to do it. it. It wasn't that our pastoral staff was stumped by this guy. We're stumped at how maybe stupid he is, frankly. We're stumped at how thick he is. But man, come on, just do the one basic thing that, you know, what does the Bible say? Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. None of us measure up to that, frankly, but we can sure try. We, we can try to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for us. But what I've found is we live in this excuse culture where we can just kind of play games with God and say, well, I'm trying, but you're not really. And it's because of pride. You don't want to be looked at as a weak man or a guy who's caving into what the pastor told us to do. Or do you want to, don't want our wives to think we're giving them an inch because they might take a mile. Like whatever it is that keeps us from doing the things God's called us to do. It's amazing how men, a lot of men today, we've, we've become really good at just kind of shrugging our shoulders. Man, I don't know why I'm not doing well on that, but oh well, you know, I, I've, I'm giving it a whirl. But actually, we're not. There's a generation of men that you can read about from a couple generations ago um, that, that kind of, I think we start to see how our, our generation has kind of fallen off the rails a little bit as far as just the duty uh, of being an honorable man, an honorable husband, an honorable um, part of the church, of the body of Jesus Christ without playing games with God without sort of messing around and sort of acting like we're trying and sort of nursing our relationships along where people don't really find out how kind of disconnected we really are um, uh, and how far off the, the rails we really are. As long as we can sort of nurture relationships so nobody really calls us out on that. And, and, and if our wife, you know, you know with the time where your wife finally calls you out, says you aren't doing this and you aren't doing that and you kind of think of her as a nag. So what you do is you kind of nurse that along and you, oh, I better, I mean, so, so you do a few things to try to help that situation. And then your wife maybe is a little encouraged for a little bit and then you kind of fall off. But that, that, that gave you a few months, a few months of peace and quiet, no more nagging because, well, I did it for a couple of weeks and uh, now that I've, that's trailed off, she's okay. We made it through that. Well, let me tell you, I've, I've mentioned this before, but remember the brick in the wall that I was telling you guys about with the, the woman's heart? Hope you guys never forget that. It's one of the most truest things I can say about marriage and the way men treat their wives is your wife is different than, than you. You and I are wired differently. You know, if you and I got in an argument right after this service and we got in a fight and we're out in the parking lot and you guys pull us apart and, and we all kind of, oh, and then we all say, man, I'm sorry. I don't know what got into me. And we, we know, it's funny how men, we could go out and get a burger after that. And, and you know what? We might even be friends, better friends after that than we were before we even fought. Like that's just men. Uh, we, our, our hearts are like a speedboat. You know those jet boats that flip around in circles? That's us. That's our hearts. The woman's heart is the Titanic. Turning a woman's heart around is not something that happens quickly. But once that turn is made, it may be hard to turn back. And see, that's the heart of the woman. She's got this heart. And when you do that to her, you play the game. Say, oh, honey, I'm sorry. And for two weeks, you kind of try again and send her flowers. And then she's okay for a couple months. But then you go right back to the same old things. 
what she's doing. She's up in her heart there, mortaring up the, the bricks and just saying, well, there's another brick right in her heart there. And, and you know, I've noticed there's a, there's a time bomb that goes off in the woman's heart and it's about 10, 15 years, mostly 15 years. 15 years of marriage is when that woman's just, you know, mortaring up brick after brick because she's guarding her heart because you keep messing with it. We keep messing with our wives' hearts and saying, uh, she'll be fine. I'm, I, you know, I, I, I was good for a couple of weeks and and then she's like, man, he doesn't really mean it. He's not really trying. He doesn't care about me. And she's mortaring up that brick and, and, and building up that wall. And somewhere when that last brick goes in, that's the thing that I've noticed as a marriage counseling pastor who's done a lot of this stuff, that's a tough one to break through. Once that last brick, I've had, man, like countless times where a couple comes into my office and she's as cold as ice and with her arms folded, she looks at me and says, I do not want to be married to this man anymore. And she's shut down. And he's struggling to say, hey, I thought we had a great marriage. And, and he's the guy that, you know, nursed it along a little bit once in a while, showed a glimmer of hope for the wife once in a while, and played the game and nursed it along just to make her happy, just long enough to sort of get her off of his back. But eventually that last brick goes in and he's stunned. I thought we had a great marriage. I thought things were great. And that's the ship that's hard to turn around. Um, time after time, I see this. But it's a lot of times the guy that's just wanting to play the game. And, and not really truly saying, I, I need to follow the Lord. I need to make my life about pleasing God. I need to do the right thing and, and uh, stand up as a man and, and be holy like the Bible calls me to be holy. And, um, and the thing is, I, I just feel like the men that I'm seeing, maybe it's just what I'm seeing in our culture, and it's not just Athey Creek men, it's, it's, it's all over the place, where we've become really good at making excuses and not just owning what we need to actually be doing. And I think that this might be just a time where we need to be throwing big old splashes of cold water on each other as men, just saying, man, brother, wake up, it's time to, time to be busy about the work of the Lord. It's time to love our wives. It's time to be a godly husband and father. It's time to, to be honest and men of integrity at work. It's time to, to be about serving the Lord and not just you know, um, you know, playing games with the time that we have and, and the energy that the Lord's given to us. And it's for that reason, I want to draw your attention to Philippians. I probably we'll go to Philippians, but let's go to Romans first. Romans chapter 13 is where I wanna take a look this morning. <clears throat> Romans 13. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, there's a sense of urgency, I think, uh, because of the days that we're living too, I think. Didn't you guys get the sense that we're living in days that are unique? I feel like that. And I think the uniqueness of the days, I believe, call me wacko if you want to, but I believe it could be, I'm not saying it is, but it could be that we're living in the last days. As a Bible student, you can't ignore what the Bible says. In the last days, this will happen. In the last days, that will happen. In the last days, the other will happen. And man, check, check, and check. Like I, I can make a pretty good argument that man, perilous times will come in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, um, haters of their parents. In the last days, there'll be wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes in diverse places, disease and pestilence all over the world that we can't control. Um, and, you know, all kinds of things that the Bible just goes on and on telling us about. And that kind of comes into play because if that's true, which I think it is, um, what time is it? What time is it? Well, this is where Romans 13 tells us what time it is. It's Romans 13, ver verse 11. 
<clears throat> says in uh, Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time that now is, it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness and chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. How's the NIV start? I think uh, in verse 11, it doesn't start with saying, and do this. Is that what it says? And do this. I like that. That's a good way of translating. That's, that's really what, what Paul's saying. Do this. Wake up. Put off your pajamas. Put on your daytime clothes. Be a big boy and do what God's called you to do. Um, that's what the Lord say. It's like a, a splash of cold water. I, I call this, this section of scripture the splash of cold water for, a, for a, a person who wants to know what the Lord's saying. It's time to wake up. It's not time to be snoozing, sleeping in. It's time to be busy about the work of the Lord. <clears throat> There's some interesting things, by the way, about this, um, the, the word time in and of itself. The word time um, uh, is, uh, in the Bible, there's two major Greek words for the word time. And, and again, I got to say, the reason why we talk about Greek words is because translations can be tricky. And the Greek language is more colorful than the English language. So when we say time, the Greek might have three or four words for time that are more specific. And it does come into play. And so it's kind of a fun thing to look at what the Greek text says. But when it says there in verse uh, 11, now knowing, that the, knowing the time, that it now is high time to wake out of sleep. So in the New Testament, the main words for time, uh, the first one that's most common is this, this Greek word, and you'll recognize it, chronos, right? Do you guys recognize that? Chronology, uh, chrono, chronometer, uh, chrono, how do you say that? Chronometer or whatever. Um, chronicle, uh, those kind of words. The word chronos is used in the New Testament for uh, the ordinary use of the word time as we would think. <clears throat> a sequential passing, <clears throat> excuse me, a passing of hours and the events that follow one another, chronological time. That's the word chronos uh, in the Greek. The other word you see employed once in a while for the word time translated to time is the word kairos. And, um, and you know, it's a different concept. It, uh, it steps away from, you know, sequential idea of chronos or chronology, but um, it has to do more with the scope of human destiny. Uh, it's a hard word to actually define. In the English, we distinguish things that re uh, relate to history that are historical events or trends um, that are uh, decisive or historic. Um, you know, you might uh, think of, you know, we could talk about concepts that speak of an era, Woodstock. Woodstock is something suddenly you see hippies smoking weed, running around in the mud naked with Jimi Hendrix burning his guitar. But that's not, it's not about those things. It's about the time of those days. What was that, 69? Was that 69? Um, and, and that speaks of a real time. That's this word kairos. Like it's a, a season uh, that sort of speaks of something historic or uh, something special or eventful. Um, chronos is more sequential, uh, linear, whereas uh, kairos is more of a, 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 um, a seasonal fruitfulness or an event 
with a kind of a kairos significance. Are you guys with me so far? Now, the reason that's important is because that's the word being used right here. When it says, um, and knowing that the time, kairos, now it is high time, kairos, to awake out of sleep. That there's, there's a season, there's an eventfulness that's, that's something that you and I should be aware of. It's time to get busy. And when you know your Bible, one of the things you realize is, is um, you will know the times and the seasons of when the Lord will return. You remember that from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? It says you'll know the times and the seasons. That's kairos. It's, it's sort of a season of time that you'll start to sense something big, something special is happening. And I hope you understand, I, I believe we're living in that time. And, and here Paul the Apostle, it's time to get busy. Now you say, well, Brett, Paul wrote this a couple thousand years ago. So he was obviously wrong, it's not time. But you have to remember, this is an era of time starting with Paul and, and right there just before Paul, Jesus, where we're living in a church age. We're living in a certain season right now, it's the church age. Yeah, but Brett, the church has been around for a couple thousand years. But remember when it comes to end time stuff, Peter says a day with the Lord is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day with the Lord. In other words, we're living in a season and I believe the last couple thousand years is a season of time and, it's, and, and in God's economy, it's only been a couple days. But, but if you think about it, a couple days, that's, that's according to what the Bible says, it'll only be like a few days. And, and, and the point of it, by the way, when the Bible says we should be ready, watching, waiting for the Lord's return, and people have been doing that for several thousand years, it's because that's the way the Lord wants us to live. He wants you and me to live with that expectation that, that Christ could come at any moment, eminence of his return, sort of watching, ready, waiting. And that's the point. Now, I believe that after a couple days, 2,000 years, um, I think that we really could be nearing that moment in time where the Lord returns. If that's true, then I do believe it's high time to wake up out of sleep and to be busy about the work of the Lord. Well, Brett, what if it isn't? Doesn't matter. That's the way we're supposed to live. It's almost like the Lord wants us to live with that urgency. Urgency? Is there an urgency? Even if Christ doesn't return in, in my lifetime, is there an urgency? The answer is absolutely yes. Man, we need to be praying. I went up to the hospital yesterday, hung out with a family, um, great, great family in our church, and um, be praying for Dave Pearson, one of our bros here at Athey. Um, awesome dude. Hilarious guy, fun, funny, fire chief in Tualatin here uh, at the fire station there on Tualatin Sherwood. <clears throat> um, just a, a great dude. Um, but ended up, uh, you know, feeling kind of sick on Super Bowl Sunday. Eventually went to the ER and, um, and eventually kind of dropped into a coma. And now he's just, he's just out cold and they're just kind of waiting to see what, what's going to happen. And we had to, yesterday we brought all his kids up. He's got this beautiful family and had to explain to the kids that we don't know what's going to happen and we don't know if he's going to come through. And, and um, man, this guy just, it just made me realize that, you know, if, if it could happen to him, it could happen to any of us. Like Dave is like dialed in, healthy, strong, police chief, dude that's, you know, almost 50. But man, you never know when your time is coming. And even if you don't know that, and if you do make it to 75, 80, 90 years old, the older the, that I get, the more I realize, wow, life really is but a vapor. 
So we sit around, you know, in the shop of our heart, uh, letting projects go bad and letting stuff get dust over them. And we don't, we don't really do the things we're really supposed to be doing in life. And we just, but we realize, man, that, see, that's the thing I most fear is if I ever kick the bucket, you know, without my shop being clean, somebody's gonna have to clean that thing. Like, that's embarrassing. When I die, that's my biggest fear. So somebody's gonna have to go, okay, let's see what Brett's got in his shop. <laughs> it's like, uh, man, we got work to do. Um, eBay, start eBaying. Brett should have eBayed, man. Um, but, but I wonder if there's things like that that are undone spiritually that you need to do before you die. Do you have kids or grandkids that you need to be you know, spiritually tuning up and showing them how to walk with the Lord? That time's gonna come and go fast. Um, are you a single guy who's got friends that are not really walking with the Lord and, and, and you know, you're just kind of like, yeah, whatever, they'll grow, grow out of their stupidity. My buddies, they, they'll, they'll get the Bible at some point. Or should you be busy about saying, man, I'm gonna take some of my buddies and I'm gonna disciple these guys. Discipleship, Am I, should I do this? This is what Jesus told us to do. Go out and make disciples. That's what you and I as men are supposed to be doing. Um, and now is high time to do that kind of stuff. Or we can sit around and say, well, someday I'll be qualified enough to disciple guys and spend time doing stuff that matters and helping my friends that aren't really walking with the Lord. I'll do that someday. And we hit the snooze button. Meanwhile, here in the scripture is saying, it's high time to wake up out of sleep. It's time to be busy about the work of the Lord. Time to wake up. So you got this word kairos that's, that, by the way, the word kairos is mostly used in end times or eschatological context in the Bible, speaking of the last days. That's why I went to the talk, topic of the end of the world and stuff like that, because that word kairos in the Greek text is mostly associated with the end times, and that's what's being used here in this uh, wake-up call, the splash of cold water from Romans 13. So notice with me here what's being said. Um, I love it that Paul gives us, you know, uh, four main things to, to consider. And you can jot these down if you want. Um, but the four things, number one, when to wake up. Number two, what to wear. Number three, how to walk. And number four, what to do. I love the practicality of this passage. When to wake up, what to wear, how to walk, what to do. First of all, when to wake up. Um, it says right now. Now is the time. Today is the day. Um, knowing that it's time, to, high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. Implication. A lot of guys say, well, why wake up today when you can wake up tomorrow? It's like, uh, why procrastinate today when you can procrastinate tomorrow? <laughs> Heard a story of a guy who uh, was cleaning out his closet and he found an old um, you know, um, claim ticket. And he realized, whoa, 15 years ago, he had dropped off one of his favorite pair of shoes at this uh, shoe shop, you know, repair shop. And this was his claim check and he never picked up the shoes. And he thought, what a joke, man. He said, I loved those shoes. And he said, I totally forgot about them. So he just said for a kick, he thought he'd stop by the shop and, and just, just see, see what the deal was. So he went in there and he turned in the claim ticket and the guy looked at it and said, oh, well, let me check. And he went in the back and looked around for a while, came back and he said, they'll be ready next week. <laughs> the, the cobbler <clears throat> hadn't even got to it yet. Uh, 
but he said they'd be ready next week after 15 years. That's, that's the condition of most of us. Projects undone, things that we've forgotten. It's just procrastination. <clears throat> and, and I wonder if there's some of us in the church, ah, 15 years ago, the Lord stirred my heart to do something and walk with the Lord and do radical stuff, but I'm still just kind of waiting around for when that's gonna happen. Um, the use of time, man, have you uh, considered your use of time? A study revealed that an average 70-year-old man has spent 24 years of his life sleeping. 24 years, that's a lot of sleeping. Uh, 14 years of the average man's 70-year-old life, uh, he's been working, 14 years of work, eight years doing amusements, six years at the dinner table, maybe some of us a little longer than that, five years in transportation, four years in conversation, three years in education, and two years in study or reading. His other four years, if you do the math of that, are spent in just miscellaneous pursuits and what have you. Of the four years, the 70-year-old man spent, on the average, in America, 45 minutes in church on Sunday, and five minutes were devoted to prayer each day. That's the average. This adds up to not at all an impressive total of five months of his 70 years that he gave to God over the 70 years of his life. Even if this man had been faithful, a faithful church goer who attended Sunday school and won uh, three one-hour services per week, went to Wednesday night Bible study and went to Sunday night worship, even if he did all of that stuff, he would have spent only one year and nine months in church. Um, uh, if, if, you know, the thing is, I start doing the math of all the time. I wonder what would happen if you actually sat down and did the math of your life. It wouldn't be that hard, actually, to see, am I like the average guy here in this study? Or, or would I be different? And, and really, what should the priority be with our time spent? And um, man, I just wonder, in our culture, this was actually an older study that was done quite a few years ago. But... Um, but I wonder if today, it just seems to me like we in this modern age have so many more distractions than they did even 10 years ago. Um, you guys with your smartphones, have you ever looked at your, what do they call it, uh, you know, time? What is it? Screen time. Um, it measures that for you. Uh, it'll freak you out if you take a look at that. How many hours you've spent looking at your phone? Uh, you know, and, and it's, it's a little bit troubling sometimes. I mean, how many, uh, and, and if you want, you can see what, what you've been spending your time looking at. It, it measures all that for you. Um, and I wonder, you know, 10 years ago or 20 years ago, for sure, we didn't have any of that. I, I wonder if, if we had a screen time thing on this measurement, uh, you know, uh, I was talking to a guy the other day and he said he had over five hours a day on average of his screen time. And if you start doing the math of that, how many years of his life, at the end of his life, will he have spent looking at his phone? And uh, man, I just wonder if it's time to disconnect a little bit. I understand that the, for, for many of us, your, your phone is kind of your, your lifeline to getting work done. And I understand all that. I think that's probably here to stay. But maybe what's not here to stay is for us to say, you know, we don't have to be connected 24-7. We don't have to, we're not that important that we need to be texting every minute of the day. I think some of you guys need to get disciplined in your life and say, when I get out of work, I'm putting the phone away. I'm gonna tune into the kids, I'm gonna love the wife, I'm gonna do family devotions, and so what if so-and-so is calling from work? Um, whoever said that we have to be connected 24-7, uh, they're wacko. 
Um, it's just not, it's not true. We don't need that. That's a lie that we've been you know, buying into. And, and I, I perceive, maybe you do too, that it's hurting us. It's hurting us as men. It's hurting us as brothers in Christ. It's hurting us as fathers, dads, husbands. Um, and, and a lot of us don't even know it's even happening. It's hurting. So you got this problem with time. And it says, man, the day, knowing the time is far gone, the time is spent, it's time to wake up, it says here. So when to wake up, that's an easy one, right now. Number two, what do we wear? Well, there, he tells us, it's kind of a funny imagery here. It says, uh, what to wear in verse, uh, verse 12, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. So, so the idea is, the imagery, if you could sort of chuckle at this, he's saying, put off your pajamas and put on your, your, your you know, uniform, your military, uh, you know, if, if you're, a, you know, putting on your bulletproof vest and you're putting on your weapon and you're getting ready for battle or whatever, be ready, put off the PJs and put on something that gets you ready to roll, ready to go. Um, and, and the idea is, of course, Paul's making the point that some guys aren't doing that. They're just walking around in their PJs all day. Um, and they're not ready to do battle. They're not ready to, to be busy. They're not ready to make a difference. They're not ready to see success in their marriage, their lives, their works, the, the work that they're doing. Put off your pajamas and put on your, what is it, a suit of armor? The armor of light? Um, you guys know what this is. You know, jot it down next to that scripture if you want, but it's Ephesians chapter six, you know, verse 11. It says, put ye on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness and of, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take and do the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, uh, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer, supplication in the spirit, watching thereto with perseverance and supplication for all saints. The idea is we're in a battle. Life is a battle. And I think there's guys that are stumbling onto the battlefield in their pajamas. Did anybody see that uh, film, you know, um, 1917? Interesting, uh, not recommending it for your family uh, necessarily, but it, for you history buffs, uh, it, it's, it was done in two takes, which is kind of an interesting way to do a movie. Um, but basically it followed these soldiers from the time uh, they start you know, in a field just trying to rest, take a nap during World War I, and then suddenly they're woken up and they gotta go on a mission, and you're with them on this mission. The whole movie is just you're on a mission with, with these guys. But because it's in real time and, and there's no break from the camera angle, you kind of get a sense of being there. And, um, and uh, you know, the last couple of years I've been actually studying World War I a little more intensely. And uh, so this movie, I thought, wow, interesting. Let's see if it's accurate. And man, they, they got some accurate imagery there of what those trenches of the World War I meat grinder, uh, that millions of men were killed in this horrible war. Um, and they kind of captured this, this story 
But um, man, you know, I, I was thinking about that. It's interesting, J.R.R. Tolkien did his Lord of the Rings, you know, trilogy basically because of World War I and the, they thought it was Armageddon back then. They all did. They thought it was the end of the world. But you can see why if you were, you know, one of those guys in the trenches, shell-shocked. But I sort of think of that and I liken that to the days we live. And, and, and a lot of men, I think, we don't realize we're in this battle and we're, we're, a lot of men are stumbling out on the, the battlefield with no rifle, no military gear, just totally vulnerable. And they wonder, why am I getting picked off? Why, why, is this mess, why is this thing messed up? Why are things dying around me? And it's because the Bible says, don't you know? You're in a spiritual battle. Take off the pajamas, put on the armor of light and be ready to roll. That's what Paul's saying. Don't be picked off. Don't be shot. Don't be killed uh, unnecessarily. You gotta be serving the Lord, walking with the Lord. So the idea is to be uh, ready to roll spiritually. Put on the armor of light. And man, we could do a whole study and we have on, you know, what is the breastplate of righteousness? What is the shield of faith? What is the helmet of salvation? Um, You know, those are the kind of things we should be aware of and know about. So, um, number three, when to wake up is number one right now. What to wear, the armor of light. Be ready, be spiritually girded up. Uh, Don't just stumble out on the battlefield of life ill-prepared. But number three, how to walk, how to walk. Now, this is where it gets into some heavy-duty stuff. Verse 13, let us walk. And by the way, the word walk implies steady progress, walking, not sprinting, not jumping, walking, steady daily process. Let us walk honestly as in the day. Um, there's also a word associated there, decently. Some of your newer translations might even say that. Let us walk honestly or decently in the day, not in rioting or drunkenness, not in chambering or wantonness, not in strife or envy. Now, there's some old school words there that are kind of interesting. Um, you know, honestly is that first one, but what's this rioting? Are you thinking uh, Antifa, downtown Portland? Well, not really. The, um, the Greek word there is komos, which um, basically means party and down, drinking parties involving unrestrained indulgence in alcohol uh, and accompanying often with immoral behavior, orgies and reveling and carousing, that kind of stuff. Just, just don't be any, have anything to do with this komos. That's the Greek word for rioting. It's, it's probably not a great word, English translation today, because we don't think of rioting as um, sexual promiscuity, partying down, drinking, you know, living the party life. But it says, don't do that. Don't live in that way. Um, but also drunkenness there. Um, it's not a time to be drunk. The Bible says be filled with the spirit and not with wine. Um, the Bible says in you know, Proverbs 31, it talks about how the, um, the man that wants to do well, it says it's not for kings or rulers to be given to wine, lest you for, uh, forget the law and pervert good judgment. Um, drunkenness is something that I'm concerned about because the church of Jesus Christ continues to sort of em- more and more embrace being uh, into alcohol. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, the church that I went to, nobody drank alcohol. It was like, that's the forbidden fire water of Satan. Uh, or whatever, like, like that was the way it was. And those were the good old days because we, we, um, we just thought it was all bad and so none of us did it. 
The problem came when the church was like, wait a minute, the Bible doesn't say you can't drink alcohol. Jesus drank wine. And so, and that's true. The Bible doesn't forbid the drinking of, you know, wine or, or what have you. Um, but it does say that drunkenness is a sin. And with some of the alcohol beverages that we have, um, it doesn't take much to get you there. And uh, I think there's a lot of guys that say, oh, I know how to hold my liquor, you know, or they think they do. But I don't hear that from some of your wives. I don't hear that from some of the, you know, guys that I've had to go down and help them out after their DUI arrest or whatever. Um, I, I do see a lot of guys struggling in this area and it's just a real deal. But drunkenness, man, if you're a guy who struggles with, you know, getting your blood alcohol level past legal limits, if you do that more often than you should, then it might be better for you just to get rid of it altogether. I know that sounds like a religious prudish thing to say, but it's just right. You can play games if you want to. It's just right, what I just said. Um, so not in drunkenness. Also, another word in the King James here that's funny. Um, and by the way, some of you say, Brett, why do you stick with the King James? Chambering, wantonness, what is all that stuff? Well, I love the King James because it, it makes me think, what in the world? And I have to slow down and kind of look stuff up. I like that the King James slows me down. I don't just blow through a passage and don't, not really think about the words that are being spoken. I have to kind of go, what is chambering? Well, the Greek word for that is koite, it's, um, which is simply sexual immorality. Um, you know, lasciviousness is an old word that we used to use. Um, but just doing things that are sexually immoral, or, or not only even doing it, but being a part of it, is the idea of chambering. Some of you guys, chambering, that's when you pull the slide and release and you put one in the chamber. Uh, yeah, no, it, it, in the King James language, it means, um, uh, no, it means uh, sexual immorality. Man, this is a tough one for us guys today. And I, we've done whole, you know, ironwork sessions on, you know, sexual lust and stuff like that. But man, we're just inundated with sexual imagery Man, I hope you guys, I hope we're super careful on this one. You know, um, the Super Bowl, um, you know, here, here's a bunch of guys who just want to watch a, a game. But the halftime was horrifying. And I hope we all agree. You know, um, next year, can, I, can, I, can we just come together with an agreement, brothers? Next year, whoever it is, um, who's going to be the Super Bowl performer next year? I don't know. Probably not going to be Sandy Patty. Some of you older guys remember who that is. Um, but this year it was Shakira and uh, J-Lo. Um, shouldn't we have kind of thought, oh, this is probably not going to be the greatest uh, Super Bowl halftime show. Can I give you guys an assignment and, and challenge other brothers that aren't here today? This is the kind of stuff I want us to do. I want from this group, not only for us to change some of this stuff and have a splash of cold water, but I want you guys to go out and start lovingly saying, hey brothers, this next Super Bowl, here's what you do. Yeah, you, you get the basketball and have the hoop out in the front and, and out in the front. And as soon as halftime show, turn off the TV and run out there and say, okay, we're going to play a little knockout or a little, uh, you know, around the world or, or a little, you know, do a little shooting of hoops and have a competition outside. You need some fresh air anyway. Work off some of the chips and the chili cheese sauce or whatever you're eating. Um, <clears throat> you know, come up with a different plan. <clears throat> but if, if you, if, if we as men just sit there and watch that and our wives and our daughters are sitting there watching us watch that, um, is that really a, the message that we want to send? 
like just going, oh, oh boy, I can't believe that she just did that. Whew. You know, let alone the imagery. I mean, I'm not one to be uh, Satan images, although this one was pretty close. If you know some of the stuff that, that, that they did this time. I mean, you know, um, here's, here's the thing. They say in the Super Bowl, the city of the Super Bowl, sex, human sex trafficking is at a peak level in that city. Um, where was it this year? Miami, I think, is where the Super Bowl was. So in Miami, uh, according to all the statistics, that's where human sex trafficking is, is just on a crazy level. And we all think, oh, that's horrible. And, and we're thinking, we've got to do something about that. Meanwhile, the images, um, there, I saw one uh, you know, woman on, on uh, you know, social media posted pictures uh, and said, what are we supposed to think about this? And it shows, you know, one of the ladies in ropes tied up. It shows, you know, another lady on a stripper pole. This is the halftime show. It shows a bunch of girls in little cages all around the football field and stuff. Like the imagery, and everybody just sits around, oh, what amazing, that was interesting. Wow, they're such good dancers and stuff. And meanwhile, we're just stupidly, taking this stuff in like it's no big deal. Would we do that if Jesus were sitting right next to us or would we, oh Jesus, hey, let's go shoot hoops. <laughs> let's get out of the house right now. I wonder if, we, if we've just kind of lost our sense of decency and this idea that, you know, Paul talks about chambering, sexual immorality. Man, that's, that's kind of, in fact, it goes to the next word, wantonness. Time to wake up, get rid of this chambering, sexual immorality, and get rid of this wantonness. Um, this is a big Greek word, as elgea. And that word means it's behavior completely lacking moral restraint. Um, and it's often linked to uh, the idea of sexual license um, or, or licentiousness kind of thing. Um, but lacking moral restraint, that we don't have the ability to say, you know what, that's wrong. And we're not gonna be a part of that. That's what this word wantonness means. So what does it say? Let us walk honestly in the day, not in rioting, uh, you know, drinking parties, unrestrained behavior, orgies, not in drunkenness, not in chambering, sexual immorality, not in wantonness, lacking moral restraint, none of that. He says, put that away. And then he says, and not in strife or envy. These are days and these are times where we're to wake up and not be causing strife and envy among brothers and people in the church to, to be peacemakers, to not cause, stir up trouble, not to, to be a person that's trying to uh, go contrary to everybody else and, and what have you. Um, this, is, this is what he says, how to walk. It's more like what not, how not to walk. He says, let us walk honestly, that's how to walk, with integrity, with purity, with decency. Let us walk that way. Um, man, if you want to read the, the, the former generation that I'm talking about, um, read, have you guys ever read the book called A Man Called Peter? Or maybe you saw the old movie from the, I don't know, was it 1950s, I think, The Man Called Peter? Anybody see that movie? Anybody? Two, wow. Um, or or uh, what about Jim Elliott? Does anybody know who Jim Elliott is? A missionary that was killed at a young age. That guy did more in his, by the time he was 20 years old and killed by the, the, these uh, natives in the mission field. That dude did more than you and I will ever do in our lifetime. Uh, this young 20-year-old guy who wrote stuff that was just profound and smart and intelligent, a man of real integrity. Um, it's amazing. There was a whole nother level of, of honesty and integrity and what have you. 
Gone are the days of, of crazy level integrity. You know, Billy Graham, I remember when I was a kid hearing how he rolled. You know, Billy Graham was the guy who never once was sitting around with a woman by himself. He was always accountable. Did you know that when Billy Graham went into a, a town, he'd have a team of men around him, never traveled alone. He always had someone with him for accountability. It's not that he was saying, I'm, I'm afraid I'm gonna go you know, sleep with a prostitute. It was, he was like, I just wanna be above reproach and I, there'll never be a, a chance for even anybody to accuse me of doing that because I'll be with people 24 seven. And, and, and when Billy Graham would go into a town, he would, uh, they'd check into the hotel and you have a group of guys go into his hotel room and search it out and make sure there, were, there was nobody else in there. That, I mean, that's, he took it to kind of a whole nother level of integrity. And he's one of the few guys, pastor or otherwise, who kind of made it through his life without any major, I know he's a sinner just like all of us, but, but, but he, he went through without any major moral failure, without any huge um, mistake uh, that, that cost him his ministry or any of that stuff. And, and I remember as a kid thinking, that's what I want to do. And so, I don't know if you guys know, but Athey Creek, you know, that, that's kind of the, 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 in our employee handbook, it says that we need to be accountable and not, not do things alone and not be texting women, you know, uh, uh, you know with, you know, uh, by the way, there is a difference between, you know, hey, uh, we're having a staff meeting at 930. Uh, if you text women, that's okay. If you're people that you work with, but it's this texting women, hey, how you doing today? What's going on? Like pouring emotionally into someone. We just don't do that. If, if a woman texts me in my phone, I always link it to my wife, Deb, right there. And that's what we should do. We like to be accountable and to make sure that people know what's going on. And, and hopefully you, you, you've got people that could take your phone and look at your texts and say, what's going on? How's it going? You're not just living this private little life on your, uh, on your phone. That's, that's things we've talked about before, but this is the idea of, you know, walking honestly with integrity, not having all this other stuff going on behind the scenes. So when to wake up? Now. What to wear? Put off your PJs, put on the armor, be ready to roll for battle. How to walk honestly with integrity, uh, decently, not playing games, but just saying, I'm gonna hunger and thirst for righteousness because Jesus said, blessed are those guys who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Not in rioting, chambering, wantonness, drunkenness, um, not causing strife or envy. So what do we do? Well, that's the last one. What do we do? Number four, what do we do? It says right here, verse 14, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. What do we do? Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a great thing. I remember my pastor teaching me this when I was a kid. This has been one of the great things that has been helpful for me. And I'm still working on it. Definitely a work in progress. But when it says, put ye on the Lord Jesus, what does that mean? Well, if you look at the life of Christ, and, and, and every one of us should be an expert on the life of Christ. You know, you and I, we should have the Gospels a regular reading of the gospels in our life often and making Jesus's life. I hope all of you guys are experts on what Jesus did, how he acted, what was his personality like? How did he treat people that were sinners? How did he treat people that thought they were religiously um, superior to everybody else? Like we need to be experts on Jesus, every single one of you. Because 
We're called to be like Christ. We're called, that, that's our goal is to love our wives like Christ, to be men in the church that lived like Christ. So when it says here, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're taking off the works of darkness and bad attitudes and sexual promiscuity, just ripping that stuff off. And what are you putting on? You're putting on the armor of light, but also it says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, man, that, that's a challenge. So when I'm, you know, dealing with something that's, that's somebody who's wronged me. Well, what did Jesus do when somebody wronged him? You know, they wronged him when they beat him up and put a crown of thorns on his head, whipped his back with a flagellum and he did nothing wrong. And yet they beat him, whipped him, brutalized him. And, and when he, they said, what do you have to say for yourself? He didn't defend himself. Are you one that defends yourself? Are you one that flies off the handle for, you know, Jesus had a good reason. Like if, if Jesus blew all their heads up, just, you know, let go of a few atoms, pink mist. There's a bunch of Caiaphas, uh, you know, uh, the, the high priest, pff, um, you know, the Roman soldier, pff, 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 like little pink mist. Jesus could have done that. Heads exploding. And he would have been right. You, are you one that's a road rager when somebody cuts you off or pulls you off? You're there, giving them the finger and all upset and stuff, defending yourself. God forbid, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Act like Jesus. Man, you know, we could go on and on. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, was supposed to be his friend. Have you been betrayed by a friend? Man, that hurts. When a friend betrays you, that hurts. But what do you do? Did Jesus freak out? Did he whine or moan or complain? Nope, Jesus just was busy about the work of the Father. Man, we could go on and on and talk about the character and nature of Jesus, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, um, I've heard it said um, that some Christians are just a bunch of put-ons, fake. Christians are just fake. They plaster on a smile and they're nice to you. Hey, welcome to the church, but I know there's sinners in there. They're little sinners, but they're trying to act good. And I, I always say to that, good eye, aren't you the smart one? That's what we are. We're a bunch of put-ons. We're trying to put on Jesus Christ. Well, Brett, are you saying that you should act one way, but be really the other way? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we're a work in progress. You know, I'm not there yet. So if you're looking for Jesus in me, you're gonna find a lot of Brett still. And that's a bummer. But if you look at me and see Jesus once in a while, you know what? That's great. I'm starting to get to where I, I'm faking some people out that, man, I wanna be more like Jesus. And, and, and the goal, have you ever met a man that's so Christ-like? You're like, man, that, that guy is so much like Christ. I, I know people like that. That guy's like Jesus. And, and you know what? Actually, I, I think I'm, I'm starting to see in my friends that are Jesus-like over the years, what I'm starting to see is you start as a put on, a total put on. Okay, I'm gonna put on Jesus. So for one second in your life, instead of flipping the guy off uh, that, that cut you off on the freeway, for one moment, you just say, you know what? He's probably having a bad day. Lord, just bless that guy who just cut me off. Whatever he's going through, whatever's happening in his life, Lord, bless him, his marriage, his work, whatever's happening, Lord, may he come to know you. May he be saved. And and whatever's making him act that way, just bless him, Lord. Suddenly, you just put on Jesus Christ. And you were a put on, just for a, for a few seconds. But you know what? After a few years, it might not just be once every few seconds in a, in a year. Maybe, maybe it starts to be more often where you're doing more Jesus type stuff. And what, what happens is, is the more you put on Jesus Christ, it starts to become a little bit more who you really are. 
Like it goes from the fake you trying to be like Jesus. And, and after working at it for some years, pretty soon, you'll start to actually really take on the attributes of Christ and it becomes part of who you are. That's not gonna happen if you're playing games with God and if you're just kind of acting like the Christian, but still looking for ways to still let your flesh come out, your sinful nature to still raise its ugly head. If you're not doing battle with your flesh, the part of you that wants to be rioting, drunken, angry, full of strife and all this, if you're not pushing that down, it's gonna raise its ugly head. And what I'm, what I'm concerned about, and I, I start to kind of wrap this up a little bit, is that men today are, are getting better and better at shrugging their shoulders and oh, I'm just a guy. <laughs> uh, I, so I'm, I'm, I struggle a little bit, so sue me. Sorry, honey, I, I'm just a guy. No one ever taught, I didn't have a father uh, like Pastor Brett. Brett had a dad who taught him how to do this stuff. I, I didn't have that, so I'm just the way I am. That's what I'm concerned about. I feel like it's so easy today to, to play games and try to buy as much time as you can to keep yourself the way you are so that your wife doesn't nag you anymore or, or your friends or your pastor stops nagging you. Um, but, but really, that's just messing around. And the future of that is just lose, lose, lose. But the guy that says, man, what Jesus said, blessed. The word blessed is kind of a spiritual word that we say whatever. It means really happy is the man that hungers and thirsts after righteousness for he shall be filled. That's what Jesus said. Paul's saying, man, do this. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ that you won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Don't make provision for the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh, but do the opposite. Make provision for the idea of being righteous and walking with the Lord and serving Jesus with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So I believe you and I, we as guys have some work to do. All of us, me, myself included. And so what I wanna do with this is I've got two assignments and I guess there's kind of two levels here. Some of you guys, I have no doubt that you're, you're working on this stuff. You're, you've been trying to do this stuff for years and you're, you're, you're still a work in progress. And if you're a guy who thinks you have it all down, then you should probably uh, repent of that prideful sin and, uh, and understand that you don't. I don't know if there's anybody here like that, but if you're a guy who's, who's been working on this and you're, you've had some years of success of just trying to walk with the Lord, then can I challenge you? Because the guy that's supposed to be hearing this, he's not here this morning. There's guys that sit here in Athey Creek. You know, when you think about it, we packed this place out, three services, gonna go back to four services here in March. We packed this out and there's a lot of men in this church that just, just aren't here to hear this. And, and we need to be iron sharpening iron one with another. I wonder if there's a guy that you could just say, uh, man, I'd like to grab some coffee with you after work uh, on Friday or early Friday morning before work or just, just one of your friends that you know is kind of living on the fringe and he's playing games with God and you know it. Um, but Brett, you want me to call him out kind of like you're doing this morning? Yes. Let the sparks fly because that's what a friend does. You know, like iron sharpening iron, so does a friend sharpen, sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. The word countenance could be the behavior. And man, we have some brothers that need to be sharpened in this church. And some of you guys, I think, are the, are the whetstone that's gonna be used by God to sharpen that guy up. And man, someday he'll thank you for it. Someday he'll understand what a huge thing it is that you cared enough about him 
to actually say, man, you got to change some of the stuff. The way you're treating your wife right now, are you kidding? You know, I mean, your wife is, is you're supposed to treat her like Christ loved the church. And I, I, I just kind of wonder, why are you doing, well, my dad, and I never had this. And I, you know, just, we got to stop with the excuses and hold each other accountable. Maybe the Lord wants to use some of you guys to reach into another brother's life. That's discipleship. That's loving and caring for a brother, not just blowing it off and, and just saying, yeah, whatever. So that's the first assignment. Some of you guys need to do that. Some of you guys might be saying, yeah, Brett, um, that's me. I've been sort of playing that game and I shrug my shoulders and I make excuses of why I'm not the best husband or the best father. Or I, 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 I wished I had a guy that would reach into my life and, and, and sort of throw the splash of cold water and talk with me about my situation, but I'm not even sure I wanna do that. I'm a little nervous and, and what you're talking about kind of freaks me out a little bit. Well, I've got an assignment for you guys. Uh, and and here, here it is. Um, two of our brothers in the church, Kaipo, Pastor Kaipo and Pastor Tom Moore, those two guys um, have offered uh, to take a group of you guys um, on a little bit of a journey for the next month. Um, to challenge you in some of the things that we're talking about here. Um, and what they'd like to do is meet with you from now until the next ironwork. So just about a month, every Saturday at 8 a.m. here at the church, a smaller group. And it's gonna be a smaller group of you guys where you guys can talk about stuff, pray with each other, and, and, and say, I need to get real about this stuff. And I need to talk to somebody about how do you do this? And, and what, what am I doing wrong? Why is, why is my wife constantly challenging me on this stuff? And, and maybe you feel like you kind of hear what I'm saying, but you don't really know the math of it or how that really shakes out. You know, I can't think of two better dudes than Tom Moore and Kaipo, I mean, to be the guys that could really challenge you and, and be there iron sharpening iron with you. And uh, these guys are gonna, you know, get together with, with uh, some of you and, and uh, challenge you and encourage you and, and, um, and maybe even hold your feet to the fire a little bit. Um, but I don't know about you, but we need that. We need that in, in the church. So what I'm gonna do is when we dismiss here in a minute, um, the, the info table that's just in the foyer there, um, Kaipo and Tom will be back there. They'd love to get your name, have you sign up. And then, and then next Saturday at 8 a.m., right here in the building. Uh, I think they're gonna be in the fellowship hall. Is that right, Kaipo? Where? Oh, fellowship hall, yeah. I can't see that far anymore. I'm like, wait a minute, is that you, Kaipo? Yeah, I think that's him. I think he gave me a thumbs up. Um, but uh, yeah, they would love to meet with you guys over there and, uh, and from now until the next Ironworks. Kind of a short season of just saying, man, I wanna, I wanna be challenged. I wanna be, uh, you know, able to kind of, talk through some stuff and, and do some hard work. Um, that's good. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that um, in the work that you do or in projects and stuff, don't you love it when you um, link up with someone who is doing well or good at what they do? Speaking of dirt bikes and motocross, um, you guys that ride dirt bikes, you know, it's so much fun riding with someone who's just a little bit better than you. Um, uh, now, if you ride with somebody who's way, I got to ride one, uh, one, uh, one, in fact, Paul was there with me. We were at the track and we rode with, was that Josh Hill? So Josh Hill, who just won one of the heats this week in the Supercross race, he, uh, um, it was really cool um, because we were on the same track as him, riding at the same time. 
He was in this unmarked Kawasaki and none of us really knew who he was at first until we, like we'd go over like a triple jump and we'd be like 10 feet in the air. And then while we were there thinking we're amazing, a guy would be 30 feet in the air over the top of our heads clearing like a quad that was, we didn't even know it was actually a jump. Uh, and he was, he was over our heads. And I got this great picture of Paul over here and he's, he's railing a corner and it's great because Josh Hill is right behind him. Uh, now in the truth, he was behind him for like a half a second. <laughs> and when and when he passed Paul, it was kind of like, whoa, 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 whoa. no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't that. But um, but remember that we were. He would just blow by us like we were standing still. Too much. I didn't learn one thing from him that day. Uh, he was so fast. He was out of my league. But there, there's guys in our church that are just a little better than me, and it's so much fun. I remember riding with Paul, and you know, Paul would be just a little better. He'd, he'd pass me, and I'd follow his line and try to figure out how he's how he's going through that jump, and what, what kind of you know what kind of a, a line do you take on a certain? And, and when you're when you're riding with someone who's just a little bit better than you, you learn and you grow, and that's that's just kind of what happens. You, you, you do that in everything, sports and work that you do. Our spiritual walk's kind of the same way. And, and I would suggest that, that Kaipo and Tom are two, two brothers who, uh, you know, when you look at their families and you see what the Lord has done in the, these guys, they're the guys, even though you, some of you might think they're a little on the younger side, Kaipo's a little, he's still a kid, but he's a wise kid, one of those guys. Uh, but Tom, he's a pretty seasoned guy with a large family and lots of kids and a great, great crew. And those two guys are the guys I'd want to go to and say, here's my problem. What do you guys think? And those two guys are going to be helpful and, and uh, be iron sharpening iron. So don't be bashful. Uh, they're going to be signing you up at the back uh, info table right now. If you, if you guys want to join for one month, just every Saturday for a month, uh, it's no big deal. Uh, why not do it? Uh, that's available right after this. Let's all stand together. Lord, we consider your word this morning forbid, God forbid, Lord, <laughs> that we would um, hear your word and get this splash of cold water and not even really do anything. Lord, we know that the person that reads the word and hears the sayings of your word and, and uh, doesn't actually do what the word tells us to do, you tell us in your word that we're like the man who builds his house upon the sand. And when the rains come and the floods rise, the house is washed away. Lord, how sad it is that so many men have seen their lives washed away because of just shallow thinking on this, not building a sure foundation. So my prayer is for these brothers who've taken a look this morning at these scriptures, that we'd be like that man who hears the word and the sayings of yours and then do what it says. He's like the man that builds his house upon a rock. And when the rains come and the floods rise, that that man's house stands. May that be true of all my brothers here today. Lord, I pray that we as brothers that might have built our houses on the, on the rock by your grace, Lord, that we would then reach into other men's lives and help them to see what they need to do, Lord, just to be iron sharpening iron, sharpening the countenance of our friends. Lord, we wanna see the men of Athey Creek do well and flourish and be strong. So help us not to accommodate a culture of weakness, a culture of dishonesty and a culture of sexual promiscuity. Lord, may that not be, but may we hunger and thirst after righteousness. So bless my brothers this Saturday morning. May you bring good fruit into their lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Don't forget, sign up at the table. The rest of you, may the Lord bless you. See you some service this week.